Welcome to a Redemption's Hill podcast. For more information about Redemption's Hill, go to redemptionshill.com. There we go. Thought we were in trouble for a second. Let's try that again. That was that was not great. Good morning. Okay. I was a little bit worried for a second. I know it's dreary, but come on, man. Uh, it's good to see you. Uh, happy Easter. Happy Resurrection Day. I'm glad that you're with us. There's a million places that you could be uh, right now, but you are here with us worshiping and remembering the beauty of Christ and the story of Christ and how it affects us. It, it seems, uh, thinking kind of through this uh, this week, it seems a little bit challenging to celebrate the resurrection fully uh, in a vacuum because there can be no resurrection without first mourning a death. And further than that, there can be no death to mourn if there wasn't first a life. So it is the culmination of a life brought forth and then that same life being laid down and handed over for those in the world and then the triumphant reclaiming of that life after death and Christ defeating death that make Easter what it is. It's the fullness of all of those things that are the full scope of our hope. Uh, this is why this Easter we've kind of entitled uh, th- this message, Incarnation, Humiliation, and Exaltation through the, the full story of Christ, sowing the, the seed of hope through the entire story. And I, I think we can kind of often wonder, you know, why, why do we rehash the same things all the time? Why do we retell the same uh, stories? Why do we rehearse kind of the same things over and over and over in, in the church or in what we do, and the best way I can kind of paraphrase that is because all of our thoughts, all the things we, we do, what we think about, what we marinate throughout the day, all of those things are, are seeds being sowed inside of, of our hearts. And those seeds will bear good fruit, possibly, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, self-control in a world that seems to be out of control. It can bear those things, or here's the other side, they can bear bad fruit. Anger, anxiety, pride, bitterness, and a million things that kind of flow into that category. We tell the story of Christ, the good news of Christ, so that our hearts may feed off of, uh, of good fruit and good seed and bear fruit well in his story. We're telling the story of Christ because we believe it's the only thing that produces good fruit in our lives. We don't tell these stories out of some dead ritualistic need to say the same things over and over. We do this because it... It works. I can't say this clearly enough. I'm not a Christian because my mom would be disappointed if I were not. I'm a Christian because Christ is the only place that I find life. And hopefully you are a Christian for the exact same reason. He is the only place. We were bodies of death and sin covered in shame. And now because of Christ, we are not. So the retelling of this greatest story ever told in the life and deeds of Christ is the only thing that bears good fruit. So the hope today is that we would be good ground with a good seed, and that God would bear good fruit through hearing kind of the entire story of Christ, his story, his truth, his seed, hopefully bears fruit in our hearts. That's the prayer for today. I'm going to pray again real quick with us. God, I pray that you uh, would draw near to us. Lord, we ask with all the things going on and Easter and, uh, and Easter egg hunts and, and, and maybe dinners or just all the stuff, I pray that you just set that aside for just a couple moments. Let us see the beauty of who you are and what you've done. Holy Spirit, I pray that you draw near. Show us the beauty of Christ. 
Uh, show us what he's done. Show us the beauty of who he is. Show us the truth of the gospel. And I pray that you bear fruit in that. God, we glorify you. You are merciful and you are kind. I pray that in your name. Amen. In modern Western culture, uh, there's this phenomenon that's never really existed before in history, and it is the belief that we kind of deserve to be happy all the time, and, and, and therefore we, we should be. It's the belief that over time, our success and ease of life is just going to, to kind of grow, and it, it yields this up into the right pattern, right? We've even got a little picture of it, up and always to the right. As years pass by, it seems to correlate this idea that as time goes by, whether it's financial success or ease or thriving or just like life gets better as time goes by, it's just the idea that things are, are going to be better tomorrow than, than they were the day before. Always up and always to the right, always getting better, upward and onward. And there's, there's a ton of reasons we could credit with why the world is being seen this way really for the first time in history. We don't have time to to dive into the psychology of that. I'd love to at some point, but not today. But what I do want to do is key in on the assumption that things are just going to get better and better and better. We're going to thrive more and more, and and life's just going to be sweeter as every day goes by. Uh, the, The notion that we deserve to have growing ease and a lessening suffering, this is the Western expectation. It's what we think we're in, entitled to. We've called it a million things, the American dream, the pursuit of happiness, but always up and to the right. We deserve it. We're entitled to it. We should be able to get it. For a moment as we process Easter together, though, let's look at the differentiation between our Western expectation and Christ's experience, though. Understanding we expect to have our quality of life growing all the time as we go on our way, but Christ took the exact opposite on. He came and he took on human flesh and Christ set his eyes on a path not of growing ease but of growing suffering, of growing humiliation each and every day. It got kind of worse and heavier for him. He didn't expect to just come down on earth and have this like easy stroll and just kind of chill with the homies, the the, the humans for just a little bit. He came down, put on flesh, put one foot in front of another and in front of another walking down a path that led him to a horrific death under the most brutal way that you could die known in history, a Roman cross. Each and every step forward was a step deeper into humiliation, deeper into pain. If there's anyone who deserved to come down and have that up to the right and easier and better, if there's anyone who who deserved that, it, it would have been him. If we were to write the story of God in our human wisdom, right? If we just kind of got our heads together and like, we're going to write the story of what this is going to look like and it's going to be epic. If we were to, to get our heads together and write the story of God coming down as man, I'd imagine that we would write the story in a way that it would look kind of like uh, old school demigods, right? The superhero-like figure, all jacked and strong, comes down and just aces life and makes it look perfect. For writing the story, probably like, oh, yep, baby walked at six months, never puked once. Homie didn't even need diapers. He just knew what to do. He was a teenager. He never went through an awkward phase, never, never went through the smelly phase of teenage boyness. As a young adult, he never struggled trying to figure out who he was and what his place was in the, the world or anything like that. And just, he just knew with a firmness, this is who I am. And Well, then, of course, marriage. Finds the perfect wife and the perfect family and has a nice house, maybe a couple nice houses and and just the perfect friends. Great friends, amazing friends there to the end. 
always having a good time. Adventures galore, trips to all parts of the world that he created. I mean, he, he deserved to go to all the places and see all the things. I mean, he created it, right? The, the best food with the best and the brightest people that the world had to offer. We would write the story where Jesus would look kind of like a, a celebrity influencer Instagram account matched with a, a, a superhero skating above the fray of human suffering, skating above the fray of human plight, but this is not what the incarnation looked like at all. This is not what Christ did when he came down and took upon flesh. Hebrews 2, 14 through 18, we will quickly want to jump to the word today. It says this, since therefore the children, this is going to be humanity, share in flesh and blood, he, this is Jesus, uh, himself likewise partook of the same things that through death he may destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery, for surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. That's, again, humanity. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. And that's a beautiful verse to carry with you every day. Christ came not to exalt himself, but to put on flesh and live like a human being in the world. Philippians 2 says it this way, Christ came not to grasp what he rightfully deserved. He, he wasn't grasping at all the things that should be his or were his. Instead, Christ came down to, to be a, a servant. God, the son that is, the one who was there when creation was formed and the stars were cast into the sky, the one who is truth equal in, 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 in worth to God the Father did not demand what he was owed. Hear this, but he gave all for those he created. Let that sink in. Christ laid down what was his to come save us. The throne of heaven is his, and he stepped down from it to become a man. That's not an upgrade. Think of the inconvenience we feel in life in small things. Ever have a buddy ask you to help him move? Ugh. We babysit my kids. And scripture says, Christ for the joy set before him. Set down from his throne to come down and fix our mess, our sin. We feel burdened when we have to set our plans aside for two hours. While our Savior was willing to live 33 years of grief for our freedom. 33 years that would ultimately be capped off with the most brutal form of death you can imagine and complete abandonment. We aren't highlighting this to heap shame on ourselves this morning. We're just basking in the unimaginable goodness that is King Jesus. This is what he did. Hebrews said that we are flesh and blood. This is the fullness of our humanity. This is how the Bible describes humans all the time, right? Flesh and blood. Christ likewise partook in that. God put on flesh and blood. That is to say that God the Son didn't just kind of put on a facade of humanity, like some outer shell of humanity. He wasn't in some divine costume where we thought he was human, but he, he wasn't. He partook. He participated. He walked in our humanity. 
Something he did not have to do, but he chose to do to obey the Father so that we could be saved. Why? So that through it he may destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. And deliver all of us who through fear of death are subject to lifelong slavery. How amazing is the words in that Christ came to save those who are scared of death, scared to death of death by defeating death. But to do this, he had to be made like us in every respect. How could God the Son atone for, stand in the place of humanity without becoming one? He had to. This is why Hebrews said God came down, God humbled himself into our lowly state. This, the one who is above the angels, made himself below for a time so that men and women like you and I could be justified through him. There was no other way. The world tends to believe, why aren't there a million ways? We deserve no way, and there was no other way, so he carried this out. This is why he did what he did. This is why Jesus didn't live like a superhero above the fray, just kind of having the most beautiful, excellent, just wonderful life, all these joy, best food, happiness, all that. He came down into meager, humble form because there was no other way for him to do it. There's a uh, song that I've been listening to uh, heavily over the the last week, it's called Lower Still by My Epic, and I think some of the words interlaced in what we talk about today may be healthy and helpful. Remember, he came down into a meager and, and humble form. The words of the song begin, look, he's covered in dirt. The blood of his mother was mixed with the earth, and she's just a child who's throbbing in pain from the terror of birth by the light of a cave. This is how the Son of God comes down. Now they've laid that small baby where creatures come eat, like a meal for the swine who have no clue that he is still holding together the world that they see. They don't know just how low he has to go, lower still. I have three boys. They were born in multi-million dollar buildings. Sterile surprise, mostly well-trained staff. Plumbing. HVAC, stockpile of blood if something goes wrong. And yet God came down and was born in the barn. Not like that Clydesdale Budweiser barn in Boonville. A legit barn. Dirty floors, animal filth, feed troughs. This is how Jesus came into human history. You have to understand, this is incredibly low. Even on their ancient form and spectrum of, of, of dignity, this is low for back then. Yet it was not as low as Jesus would go to accomplish his task. The incarnation speaks of the blessing to us if we'll slow down and see them. He came to be like one of us. There's this idea that we cannot relate and we cannot connect with God. But if he came to be like us and stand in our place in human form and suffered and was tempted in every single way that you and I are, 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 are ever going to suffer or have trial. Hebrews says he becomes a faithful high priest that way, one that you can relate to. Yes, we're focusing on the resurrection today. But the Bible wants you to know that there is nothing that Jesus cannot connect to you through. If you come in here broken down, hurting, feeling alone, yeah, he gets what that's like. You know the inner heart thing? You're like, you don't know what it's like. He knows. If you feel turned on, maligned, lied about, cheated, he gets what that's like. 
If you feel misunderstood, just grieved, hurting, confused, not even sure where you're going or what you're doing, weighed down. He gets what pain is like. The beauty of the incarnation is the Savior who saves is also the Savior who can sympathize with whatever struggle you walk in right now. Maybe you're great, awesome. But if you're not, you can draw near to him and he knows what it's like. Don't miss that detail as we talk about the resurrection today. Jesus is there. He says, draw near to me. Herman Bavink, a Dutch theologian, says this, the incarnation of the Son of God was a deed of deep humiliation. The humiliation began with the conception itself and continued through his death and the grave. Christ was not a human hero whose model was onward and upward, who overcomes every obstacle and finally achieves the pinnacle of his fame. On the contrary, he descended always lower and deeper and more intimately in our fellowship. The way down into these depths was marked by tears or steps, conception, birth, the lowly life in Nazareth, baptism, temptation, opposition, disparagement, persecution, agony in the garden, condemnation before Caiaphas and Pilate, uh, crucifixion, death, and burial. The way led ever down from his home with the Father and led ever nearer to us in fellowship with our sin and our death until finally the deepest depth of his suffering, he gave utterance to the anxious plaint about being forsaken of God. The incarnation the birth, when, when Jesus took on flesh, was just the first act of a life that would just grow in humiliation. Tim Keller says this, the founders of other great world religions died peacefully, surrounded by their followers, their friends, their family, with the knowledge that their movement was growing. In contrast, Jesus died in disgrace, betrayed, denied, abandoned by everyone, even his father. Other world religions kind of teach a system that looks like that, that you ascend to God through good works. The good works look different. Their idea of God is different, but there's this ascension process, whether it's through moral virtue or ritual observation or, or transformation of consciousness. Um, you, you're just ascending, though, while in contrast, Christianity is about salvation through God's descending to us. Everything else is ascension. Christianity is you could not ascend, so God will descend. This is the great difference between Christianity and other world religions. They ascend up, upward and onward to a path of salvation. Jesus descends ever deeper and lower into pain and humiliation to save. We skim by it, but in Matthew 20, uh, verse 18, it says something kind of profound if you just let your mind sit on it for a second. Jesus says these words, faxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. We aim for the path of more, better hobbies, better pay, better job, better house, better situation. And yet Jesus goes the opposite direction. He didn't even have a home, not on earth at least. He didn't prioritize his comfort or accumulation of things or commodities. I came into the world without a home and I left it the same way is what he's saying. Back to the song. Look now, he's kneeling, he's washing their feet. Though they are all fishermen, filthy fishermen, traders, and thieves. Now he's pouring his heart out and they're falling asleep. But he has to go lower still. Relentlessly, Christ marched lower and lower and lower still to, to save. 
in a life that accumulated nothing really of, that we would consider of earthly wealth. He, he, he had no place to lay his head. A life that was lived around outcasts and hated tax collectors and, and rejects and the like. A, a life that was surrounded by doubters and haters and rejectors and enemies. The Son of God never grasped at the authority that was rightfully his. Instead, over and over and over, he laid down his pride to love those enslaved to sin like you and me. Or at least like how we come into this world. Lower and lower and lower. John 13, 3 through 5 speaks of a part of this lowering and humiliation. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. It was not enough that Jesus just come and live. He practiced humility in breathtaking ways. Can you for a second imagine the weight of this moment? This is his last couple days, his, his last bulk of hours before the cross and in the last moments. He took off his outer, outer garments in front of the, the disciples and he leans down to their feet and he washes their feet one at a time. What was he doing? He's showing them physically what he's about to do for them on the cross. That he would be the one very soon to wash away our filth, to wash away our, our sin, to wash away all that we are entangled in. He's showing them a physical sign of this is what I've come to do. Now realize in the room that moment though, there's Peter, who three times in a matter of hours is going to deny Jesus. When asked after Jesus' arrest, do you know that man? He says, no. I'm sure you know that man. Do you know that man? I don't know him. I know you know that man. I do not know that man. Washes his feet. Even more in the room is Judas the betrayer. He's already worked out a plan to sell Jesus for 30 pieces of silver and Christ leaned down and washed his feet all the same. God in that moment didn't crush his betrayer. He served him. In the heart, that is heavy. Knowing full well what Jesus or what Judas had done and what he was about to do. There seemed to be no end to how low Jesus would go to save. I think with our enemy in the room, we would demand justice, and yet he humiliated, he humiliated himself to bring about justification. Again, but that wasn't low enough, lower still. Back to the words of the song. There's greater love to show. Hands to the plow. Further down now, blood must flow. Hear this, all these steps are personal. All his shame is ransom. Oh, do you see, do you see just how low he has come? Do you see it? No one takes from him what he freely gives. Jesus walked out of the upper room that night, headed to pray, asking the disciples to stay awake and pray with him in the the, the scriptures say in that night, in the anguish of the night, knowing what was coming and how heavy it was, Jesus swept blood in that night. Why? Because of the distress of what he knew was coming. The life of the God-man was sued to meet more betrayal, a rigged trial, a sham sentence, not to mention the wrath of God, the weight of the world, and complete abandonment by the Father. 
blood comes out of his pores under the agony of that moment. And he walks back to the disciples. He just said, hey, we just stay. Man, my heart is heavy. We just pray for me. And he walks back to them and they're all asleep. The ones who are supposed to be with him, the ones that are going to take the message on and, and, and see the, the church spread through the nations, those guys are all asleep. The ones who are supposed to be with him, they slept asleep at the wheel. Christ's closest followers always seem to be. Lower still, lower still. Right? He could have said, you know, this is enough. He could have said, Father, these fools won't even stay awake for the night. I'm done. Give me my glory. I'm done. Give me my rightful place. Give me my throne. But instead, he put one foot in in front of the other towards Calvary that night. Lower still, lower still. The betrayal did happen with a kiss of deceit. Then a trial and a verdict that boggles the mind the only spotless, sinless, perfect man to walk the earth is declared guilty and sentenced to carry out his destiny as the lamb led to the slaughter. Jesus, the God-man, was going to die like a criminal on a cross for all those who had committed treason against his father. He wasn't dying because he had committed a crime. He was dying because we have. The book of John lays it out. He is stripped down. He is beaten with a a beating that's just shy of what normally kills a man. He is beaten that badly, and they made carry his cross across the streets, bloodied. The cross of shame was going to be his tool of deliverance. The cross of shame was going to be how he would free us from our shame. The embodiment of love and truth was going to die in our place while innocent. Back to the lyrics, beat in his face. Tear the skin off his back, lower still, lower still. Strip off his clothes, make him crawl through the streets, lower still, lower still. Hang him like meat on a criminal's tree, lower still, lower still. The incarnation led to a life of growing levels of humiliation that are beyond what we can really process. The final act of humiliation being that Roman cross on Redemption's Hill, The Savior hung from a tree, abandoned and alone. But on that tree, the sins of the world were placed on his shoulders. Perfection in Christ took on our imperfection and stood in our place. The innocent Lamb of God took the sins of the world, yelling out before he died, it is finished. Those words, they seem to be a declaration of defeat. I'm done. Like this fairy tale savior was finally put in his place by the Roman rule. Like the devil had won. I'd imagine that there's probably some of the soldiers grinning and laughing, saying, I told you he wouldn't get down. But they had no idea that those words were no longer the form of humiliation. Those words were exaltation. Those words were victory. Those words were triumph. When he says it is finished, he's saying it's complete. I've stood in the place of sinners. I've paid the full price. It's finished. I paid the bill. I I paid the bill of my life to bring the lost back. He had shed his blood for those stuck in sin like you and I come into this world. And through that sacrifice, death had been defeated. 
Even if death and the devil didn't quite realize it yet, it is finished because Christ had atoned for the sins of the church, for all who would believe. Bavik says the atonement obliterates sin so completely. Wrap your mind around this. That it's as if it was never committed. That's why he says it's finished. It's done. It banishes wrath. It causes God's face to shine upon his people in fatherly favor and goodwill. This is even the definition kind of a propitiation. He banishes sin away, and where we deserve wrath, he instead turns the favor of God upon the children who believe in Christ for the problem of their sin. This is why he says it's finished. I did that. The reason I came is finished. I took him off the cross and buried him in a tomb. Rolled the stone over it. The disciples and believers scattered. Thinking it's over. Back to the lyrics. Three days later, the earth explodes. She cannot hold him. And all therein is placed beneath him. And death itself no longer reigns. Hear this line. It cannot keep the ones he gave himself to save. And as the universe shatters, the darkness dissolves. He alone He alone will be honored. We will bathe in a splendor as heads bow lower still. All heads bow lower still. Here's what we come to celebrate. Though death had done its worst, The enemy thought he had won. I have killed God. But we celebrate today as the exaltation of Christ as King of Kings, the resurrection. Because, as Genesis says, yeah, the snake bruised his heel, but he crushed his head. After three days in the grave, Christ rose again and lived again. The resurrection wasn't some smoke and mirror stupendous magic trick. It was an invasion. Christ had stolen the enemy's plan. He came in. Yes, he looked humble. Yes, he turned the other cheek. Yes, he laid down his life freely. Make no mistake, he came in like a warrior and invaded and stole the enemy's power. He is Christ the victor made a way for sinners to be reconciled to God. Christ robbed the grave and through this offers new life in him for those who would believe. This is what we celebrate today, that he is alive. Understanding that if, if he was not alive, our faith would be dead and we'd all be fools for being here. There are many who've tried to doubt the, the resurrection and 
honestly, historically, that wouldn't even make sense since it wasn't just Jesus and the scattered disciples, but even other historians wrote and 500 people witnessed the risen Jesus after his crucifixion. And because of that, the fact that he is alive, we can have life in him. See, the incarnation led to our king's humiliation, but this gave way to his exaltation through the resurrection. See, the grave could not hold him, and now he stands victorious. Church, the the hope today is the seed of this message would bear fruit in your heart. Christ has come to offer you pardon and forgiveness. Christ has taken upon himself the punishment that sinners should have to pay, the punishment that I should have to pay for what I've done. He has paid for it and the same for you if you will believe. Now he extends his hand after the, the resurrection and he offers us a chance to follow him and walk with him. No longer shackled by sin, no longer under the wrath of God, Jesus is resurrected and offering really resurrection to the souls of those who are dead in sin. He declares that in him is life, the life that we need and the life that we desire. Friends, seeing as how death could not hold him, why would you not believe him? If you are a believer, one who has asked Christ to save you and lead you, the hope is that your heart would be revived and find joy and peace in this. Christ was put down in the ground like a seed, but he isn't there anymore. The beauty is that seed produces amazing fruit in your heart if you will believe. He stands over all creation in victory. Here's the beauty that I hope that you hear. He stands not only with victory over death, he stands with revival for your heart if you will lean into him. He did all of that to save and reconcile you. And then he says things like this, come and find rest in me. Rest for your soul, the rest that you're looking for. Come and see that my burden is light. He offers that to us. If we believe, he offers the moment to lean into him today and experience revival in him through that today. What would, what would I say to us as we take communion, if your faith is in him and we begin to sing some songs about the truth of what Jesus is, lean in and sing like nobody is listening. So many men go, I don't sing. That's called sin. God demands that we sing. He doesn't say if it's your style. Oh, that his people would lean in and declare the beauty of what he's done with their words and feel the reality of who he is. And I ask, would you just pray out of gratitude? God, thank you for what you've done and lean into him, come and taste and see that he is good. If you have not put your faith in Christ, man, I'd offer you the chance today. You don't have to repeat a special formulated prayer. You just pray or you just pray, God, I'm a sinner in need of a savior. I need that. Will you forgive me of my sins? Will you be the king of my heart? Will you lead me? I don't want to live the way that I did before. Will you be my king and save me? And if you do that, he will. I'd be happy to pray with you if you'd like, though. Here's the thing. Just don't harden your heart. If you feel the God of the universe who's done all of that drawing your heart today, why would you walk out today without acknowledging it? He's done so much to love you and save you. Would you trust him? Find life and freedom in him. You have to ask. The beauty we speak of today, man, you guys can come back up, is that Christ is alive no longer held in a grave. Matthew 28 says something pretty beautiful. He says, 
not, not only is he alive, but he says he'll never forsake us. He has gone back up to the Father, sent his spirit so that he can be with us and never walk with us. And one day we'll see him again. Why? Because he's, he is not dead. And that day that we see him again, he'll fully put back together all that is broken around us. All that sin and death and the serpent has touched, he will fix. None of that would be possible if he were still in the grave, though. That's why we worship today that King Jesus is alive. That he has come, that he has defeated death and extends his hand out for us to be his children and follow him. Believers, I pray that you would find hope in that. And if you're not a believer, I pray that you would become one. Would you stand and pray with me today? God, I pray that today you would draw near to your people. Father, we need you. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would let us feel and see the beauty of Christ more clearly. You are patient. You are kind. You are good. Thank you for what you have done. Thank you that you have come, that you have stepped down into our mess, the mess that you didn't send to create, but you've come down into our mess to save. Lord, we declare thanks for that. You're good and you're kind. We love you. Amen.